Okay, welcome along. We're back. The Football Debate Room podcast is back after a long break. 2019, I believe, was the last time we did this. And uh, you've got myself, Kevin Gomez here, and I'm joined, as always, with Andrew Dallas. How are you doing, mate? Really good, thank you, mate. Glad yeah. to be back. Excited. Been too long. Been too long. And I have to take most of the blame. It's uh, we've, uh, <laughs> Work just went crazy, and it was trying to fit it in and do it. But um, yeah. I think now the fact that this Zoom has sort of really kicked off it's going to make it a lot easier for us to link up and do and uh definitely get, get some get some interviews definitely. and stuff so uh but yeah so um 2019 as i said was the last time we we got together so i'm going to call this season two of the podcast because we yeah. uh, we did 10 10 episodes i think before and we did a couple yeah. of uh breaking news specials when arsene wenger retired god that's how long ago Yo, man. Um, yeah man <laughs> and the last it, the last podcast we did the actual um Topic was whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be given the Man United job full time or not. And this is this was at, this was at the time when I think Gary Neville was saying, "Where do you want the statue and things?" Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So, Andrew, if people people who haven't um, watched us, I mean, we're recording this, so this will go on YouTube as well mm. as video. But um, for people that haven't listened to us before. Um, I'm a Liverpool fan uh, since I was six years old. Mm. My surname's Jimenez. My dad's from Barcelona, so I'm a Barcelona fan from birth. Mm. Andrew is a uh, Man United fan. Yep. I'm a mad Messi fan. He's a mad Cristiano fan. So yep. we pretty much are rivals with In everything, every really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, being the Man United fan out of us both, uh, how are you seeing it with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Because, uh, you know, at the time it was like everyone wanted him. I even thought he deserved a crack. Uh, what do you mm. how do you think it's gone? Um, I'm going to say that I'm happy for a large part. I think he's improved us, which is what we wanted. Uh, there's a lot of fans that I see now which are quite aggy based on how we are now, where they want us to be. But I'm quite mm. logical in the fact of I remember where we were. Uh, in terms of Mourinho, LVG, like our style of play, um, wasn't very happy back then. Now we're better. Like you can watch games now and have a bit of enjoyment. So I'm happy in that sense. But now I think it's the time for Oli. Like he has to get a trophy somewhere. Um, mm. That's really important. And I think the next window maybe our most important one ever because we need to obviously see what's happening with Pogba and also I think there's a couple players which need to be shipped on uh, and sold like for example we might get money for Lingard for example and bring in the right players so we're at a crossroads and uh, I'm hopeful but United have let me down recently so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait and see that's how I look at it. Mm, well, I mean, since 2019, mm. a hell of a lot's happened. Mm. I think at the time, Liverpool were fighting for the league and missed out by one point, I believe it was, uh, in mm. the end against Man City. They yeah. went on to win the Champions League. Yeah. Uh, last season, we didn't do one podcast during the whole last season and obviously mm. COVID hit halfway yeah. through. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> of all... Of all the times for Liverpool to win the league with yeah. no, no fans there, no one yeah. to sort of enjoy it, which I'm sure you guys made, enjoyed. Oh, made my, made my <laughs> a year. bit of um, compensation. Year. <laughs> yeah. But um, just to let everyone know, uh, we 
we started this group on Facebook and it's it's now moved over to WhatsApp where the majority of the action happens and just to let everyone know that the, the, the night that Liverpool won the Premier League, uh, Andrew and a few of the guys conspired and literally the moment Liverpool won the league, everyone left the group. A few. <laughs> so that's uh, <laughs> just left me and Buck, the other yeah, Liverpool yeah. fan in there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, oh, crazy, crazy uh, year last year. I mean, Liverpool 25 points clear, I think it was when uh, the season stopped and then... I mean, in your wildest dreams, looking at that season last season, would you ever have thought Liverpool would be at the title race in, in no. well, how quickly they have been? And yeah. obviously Man United are up there second still, are they? Second, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'll, and I, as I said, we've had these conversations and I'll be totally honest. I There's a lot of banter that goes around towards Liverpool and this deserves, but I'll be honest, <laughs> I, I truly think that given... The Van Dyke scenario, um, given the amount of injuries that they had in a in a short period, and then I think Jota was the next player which I think really affected Liverpool. I think given that all didn't happen, and I know it injuries happened, but I think it was quite quite a freak season. Given that didn't happen, I think they'd be up there competing as normal, and I do think. Next season, if Klopp, like for example, reinvigorates, buys one or two, sells one or two, it's just they're going to be up to the level. People like Thiago are going to obviously get up to speed, and he'll get a full preseason uh, and time to adjust. And the other players mm. come back. I see them back in the in in like competing. So, although there's a lot of banter, and I'm loving it and I'm enjoying <laughs> it, I, I'm not going to get too carried away because. I also think Man United are there in a kind of false position. So maybe third, but second is kind of a push. Coming up in the, uh, we, we won't talk about Liverpool too much because we got mm. uh, coming up later on an interview I did uh, last night with Neil Atkinson. He's mm. the uh, host of the Anfield Rap podcast, um, mm. massive, massive podcast which has had over thirty mm. million worldwide downloads, oh, and that's not even that's not even including their actual subscribers, of yeah. which I'm one. So he talks about Liverpool in the first half of his uh, interview, and then goes on to talk about VAR, which is our main topic, yeah. and also talks about uh, Carlo Ancelotti, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, Arteta and and just general general ch- general chat about football, but um, for our first topic, we've decided to come back with because I think VAR obviously had come into the league. I believe I think the season before, which was the World Cup, they brought it in for the World Cup, and uh, yeah. just looking how it's evolved in the uh, in the Premier League. Um, I was. I was an advocate and I was really looking forward to VAR coming in. And I listened back to the last podcast we did when we were talking about VAR and uh, you um, as well was looking forward to it in a way for sort of helping out the referees. Um, I've had a lot of stick from certain Sean Maguire on Twitter over the time (laughs) because he's been anti it from day one and I've called him a dinosaur because I thought he's not been willing to give it a chance where I was. Yeah. but I've got to start saying, I think he's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I think he's, uh, if he saw the problems that were coming, which I'm not sure he did, but if he did, he's been spot on. And for me, I, I never thought I would say this, but if I could choose to get rid of VAR now, yeah. I would vote to get rid of it because yeah. it's killing the game and uh, the emotions going out of it. Um, yeah. What I don't like about it is, 
goals going in and you're not sure whether it's gone yeah. in. They're taking too long. All this yeah. armpits being offside. Yeah. What VAR I thought was going to come in to do was to stop robberies and stop injustices happening. Yeah. Yeah. Now when you've got them zooming in with millimetre lines and drawing it to armpits, it's almost as if they're sitting there going, how can we cancel this goal? Like, how yeah. can we cancel yeah. it? And that's not yeah. what anyone wants in football. Yeah. Agreed. Um, what's... I think it. I think there still should be some kind of video ref because stuff that gets missed off the ball, violent conduct and stuff. Mm. If someone's got a replay and you can tell the fourth official, you know, you've got to tell the referee's got to go there for you know Zidane yeah. headbutt, which one of the comments is is mentioned earlier. Um, there still is room for for VAR to be successful, but yeah, for me, I just I really don't like the way it's gone, and I never thought I'd say it. But how do you feel about how it's gone? The craziest thing for me is that something like VAR, I thought, and it obviously was, but I thought it was going, to, you can't trial something like that in the Premier League and you can't make changes to the rules within the season. Like, I think, was it the Tyrone Mings one? They changed a rule after yeah. that incident. Stuff like that makes no sense to me because then it's not fair play throughout the whole season. Every single team hasn't, had like the same set of rules. Do you mm. see what I mean? So yeah, yeah. one week it could be okay, this happens, and then a the week after, and like they've been doing that all the way through the season, and, and especially with the handballs, haven't they? The yeah, hand like, yeah, like uh, and okay, it, it it I think that really really ruined it for me. Similar to you, obviously, I was like, okay, if VAR comes in and it and it deals with the injustices and stuff like that. Yeah, that's all we wanted. There were certain injustices, which I remember. I remember one specifically in the World Cup. It was Tony Cruz, I think, or Germany against, uh, I'm going to say, I, I believe it was South Korea or something like yeah, that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and they, and they, and they like, had... The, the goal wouldn't have stood had they not had the technology. Yeah. I think that was the one and, where it came off the defender, wasn't it? And they yes, gave it offside. Exactly. But they know it. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. It was brilliant. Like, for me, I was like, in, in something such as the World Cup, where it's a whole country, um, it, it, it you, you want stuff like that. And I thought, okay, if they bring that to the Premier League, it's going to be great. But as you said, when they're changing the rules, like, I've, of my understanding or how I always viewed it, I always thought, okay, if you're at an advantage by your feet, the the, the part of you that's actually touching the ground, um, then it makes sense. Do you know what I mean? If you're a foot off, uh, you're offside, but someone's hand or arm or something being offside or elbow, it doesn't make any sense to me because people are different heights, sizes, width. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like that means someone like me, if I'm playing like a smaller defender, I have to, how can you calculate like the inches that, do you know what I mean? That you're going to remain on side. So stuff like that. Mate, after, really... after this lockdown, my gut would be offside so many times. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Man, a red oh, wine and cheese. Trust me. Jesus Christ. But, um, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just rid ridiculous. And I think it's that, this is the funny thing. When Sean Maguire was doing that, at the start, I was like, you know what? I, I I remember there was one game, but I don't actually remember which game it was. And I was like, you know, what? this is right. Like this is this is nonsense. And at that point, I was like, no. If they don't change something, 
I, I, I can't agree with this. And then that was it. I was like, no, VAR's got to go. If it's going to be anything like this, it's mm. got to go. And the, the thing is, it's probably gone about 700% worse. That's the, mm. that's the craziest thing. From then, I just thought, okay, maybe they'll make a few errors and then it will be fixed and, and it will be sorted. And it's just got worse and worse. And for me, I'm just like, do you know what? I'd rather see the back of it. I, I prefer, even if it was against Man United and we can see the goal. Like I want, when someone scores, I, I, I don't want all this stop and start. Like I just mm. want you to score, you run off, you celebrate. Mm. The well, Peter, Crouch, Peter Crouch made a point on his podcast. He said, if VAR was around, he said he'd never have done the robot. Exactly. Because he said, yeah. well, who's going to do that robot? And then yeah, all of yeah, a sudden yeah. you're waiting. Like, exactly. Oh, yeah, you look all right, Mark, yeah. if you've yeah. done that. But, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I, I think a... didn't Alien do that the other day for Leeds? He'd done a big old celebration, Did guitar he? out and everything, <laughs> and then got stopped. <laughs> you have to watch that one. That's funny. Yeah, but you think of all these iconic goal celebrations, like Bebeto, Romario yeah. doing the baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. All these ones, you're thinking, shit, is it close? I mean, I think I watched... Um, the West Ham Arsenal game the other day and Antonio headed it down. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Suchek scored. Yeah, and, yeah. And he didn't even celebrate. He, he was going, he's celebrate. offside. He's, yeah, you yeah, could yeah. see Malvin going, he's yeah. offside, he's offside. Yeah, yeah. But he couldn't see at the time he headed it, he was just on. But yeah. I mean, I used to I used to think I used to get so pissed off with referees that ruined like blatant um injustices you know like yeah. I always talk about these games you know like the Barcelona yeah. into Milan when they got the goal disallowed for the yeah, handball yeah, penalty yeah. at the San Siro which was ignored the amount of penalties at Liverpool I've seen that should have got and they haven't got are goals that are off sides that have been given and yeah. I used to think to myself if VAR is going to stop all that that's what I want and yeah. I'm I'm so up for that I'm actually at the point now where I would rather risk a couple of injustices yeah. over my life yeah. Then try and make it robotic because yeah. it's just lost all its. Uh, but it, it should it should have been the thing is, and this is the thing. It, it should have been for me. It should it should have been or still should be an easy fix. Like just don't complicate things. But what I can't understand is there must be so much red tape when they're going through this stuff, and this person agrees, this person doesn't agree, and they have to do this for financial reasons that. It, 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 it's at the point where it's just like, you know what, just scrap it, just scrap it. Mm. Like, it don't matter how much you've invested, just scrap it because it's it's going to ruin, like, there are actually people that I would say, like, don't watch it now because it ruins the game. And I was at that point, like, towards the early stages, I was watching it because I was like, this is annoying. Like, it's just, one we've 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 lost a bit of enjoyment of football because I believe football's become a bit robotic anyway because it's just become an athlete's game like you know like this a, a bit of the element of skill has left the game and stuff like that and everything that has become stats based now so it it takes a little element off it and then an additional to that you've got all these kind of technology flaws which is is ruining it it, it was at our point it was ruining it for me and obviously man united was in a bad place i was like you know what <laughs> i can't i can't take this anymore but mm. yeah i just I, I i hope they fix it because as you said it would be a brilliant tool mm. if they could fix it but 
Well, that's the thing. Could they fix it? Because um, there's the um, I see in Holland they're doing a thing about the lines. You see all these lines that they've been up for offside. Um, they're making the lines five mil thick, so they're thick lines. So if the lines are touching, then it's it's onside. So it really does need to be that gap, that daylight gap for it to be ah right. He's offside. Yeah, yeah. That I think would really help because. The amount of offside decisions I've seen, you know, when they pause it and it's le- and you go, that's level, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 99.9% of football fans will look at it and go, that's level, get yeah. on with it. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. one wants to go, can we find yeah, 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 if he's yeah, offside yeah. there? Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, I, we were talking about it today with um, a guy at work, Tony Mills, and, and we were talking about whether there could be some kind of way of um, bringing in like a challenge system where it's only like you've got one challenge yeah, that you can yeah, make yeah, yeah and if you get yeah. it wrong you lose your challenge or yeah, something I yeah i don't yeah. know there's just there's I, definitely I, way it can work but do you know what that totally makes sense because then you know okay let's say for example like per game like each team has like one opportunity so for example if that one opportunity is gone then you know if someone scores mm. after that they can just celebrate and it could it flows but mm. I think, as you said, that is the part that most people get agitated by because it's like you can't even celebrate your goal. I watch a neutral game and I'm like the same thing like what Antonio does. I'm like, mm, is there any point in running off because they're going to go and do a check now and this check's mm. going to take two minutes. So, yeah, I think I think something like that. that I think, what is, do they do that in? Is it American football they do it in? Um, there's definitely a sport they do something like that in. Oh. Um, I know in squash. Yeah. I know in squash, which is a completely different game, but you yeah. get a challenge in squash. Uh, yeah. Tennis, obviously, you get free challenges. Don't yeah. you? And if yeah. You, yeah. you lose them, yeah. but I mean, I, it really. I don't know. I, I honestly think it can work, but as I'm saying, if you could vote now, get rid. I would, but I still think it can work. There's a way of technology and helping these referees yeah. in the football. But I mean, it's all right. It's what? What? what all right. What, Let's let me ask you a question then. In terms of the referees going over to see, that's another thing that annoys me as well. What is the point of having people up in a computer set up, Stockley Park yeah. or whatever, and then still telling the referee to go to the screen? That doesn't yeah, make sense to me. I mean, one of my main things was, I know we haven't got it now because the fans are not in the stadium, but yeah. I often feel a lot of referees, um, especially at Old Trafford, especially at um, Anfield, where the fans are loud and they're on top of you and there's yeah, loads yeah, of yeah. them, that a lot of referees bottle decisions yeah, in yeah. games like this. And yeah, yeah. a lot of them are scared to give, you know, penalties yeah. away to Liverpool at the cop end. Yeah, for, or yeah. They easily give them at the cop end for Liverpool, yeah. you know. And we've yeah. seen it at United over the years. I mean, they've yeah. even admitted our you know, referees that have retired have admitted that they've gone there and they were intimidated by Ferguson yeah, yeah, and the yeah, crowd. Yeah, yeah. So for me, if the referee can go, do you know what? Even if it's not like that's a penalty, it's yeah. a, a check sign. I want yeah, it checked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Someone yeah. checks it and then they go, it's a penalty. It takes yeah. the pressure off yeah, of yeah, the yeah, guy yeah, in the middle. Yeah. They He's also like, don't have seen they, what, what kills them? They don't need to tell you the names of who's the video referees at Stockley oh, Park because that puts the pressure on as well. It's like he's going to be driving out of there when he's finished his job, like, <laughs> waiting for a sniper or something. Like, mm. just like the video referee, I don't think should be named or whatever. They're there, they review it. They've obviously, because also similar to what you said, I find that when the referees go over to the screen, you've also got a limited time to check. 
Now, by the time he's walked from there to there, someone in the uh, the video referees actually at Stockley Park actually get the opportunity to look and mm. look properly. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not rushing; they're actually looking in real time near enough. So, yeah, I just think that whole thing needs to be sorted out as well because that really does annoy me what's the point of someone on a screen looking yeah. five times and then telling the ref to go down and look it that yeah. doesn't make sense to me so. and Neil Atkinson in the chat we did yesterday he mentioned maybe putting a time limit on VARs where it's like 30 seconds or something because yeah. the time it can drag and drag yeah, and drag yeah. and I thought it was a good idea um, yeah. I put the, the comment up on Twitter and also in the WhatsApp group and Facebook and we got some comments on from uh, some of the members so let's have a little look and okay. see what they said so Tom O'Carter who is a reignited juke of a late <laughs> jury out on Klopp, as he used to say, but uh, that started to rear its head again, annoyingly. Um, Tom O'Carter has put Scott Parker's comments, I agree with. It's making the game too pure. The emotion part is going out of the game. You can't celebrate a goal properly. I think they should use daylight rule again about offsides. Um, yeah. which I agree with all of that. Uh, Tommy Roberts has put, yeah, if you have to start getting lines up on the screen and measuring millimetres, then advantage should go to the attacking team. Also, we should revert, revert back to feet only offside. I mm. think there's more controversy now than there was before VAR, which mm. was the whole point of VAR was to reduce the con controversy. Yeah. I also think they should float the idea of a team having maybe three uh, VAR calls per game like in tennis. Mm. That's what we mentioned earlier. Um, as it stands, though, if they are not going to change anything, then we're better off without it. Right. Yeah. Um, Paul Gimenez, my brother, he says, the offside thing doesn't really bother me as long as it's 100% accurate. If it's off, it's off. Should they change the rule? Maybe, but that's not VAR's fault. My issue is things like that blatant penalty on Foden, for example. If that's not a penalty with VAR, then what the hell is? Also, handballs. I genuinely don't know what is a handball anymore. They seem yeah. to have changed the rule multiple times throughout the season. Yeah. And that's true. Um, Bukhtar Hussain, the old legend. Laziz uh, Curries in Hayes, if anyone uh, is in the Kent area. Does a lovely <laughs> curry, that boy. Um, he's just put uh, three words, I hate it. And that's it. He hasn't elaborated on that anymore. <laughs> uh, Chris Wheeler. Um, the common theme is that VAR just isn't being used correctly, he says. Regarding offsides, the rule offsides, the rule itself needs to change. If VAR is zooming in so far that the picture becomes pixelated to try and ascertain where, where to draw the line, then it's not clear and obvious. Give the advantage to the attacking team. And I think everyone agrees with this, don't they? Mm. Anyone involved in football agrees with this. Yeah. Also, the rule that they've applied in Holland where there's no daylight between the lines and it's not offside is a good idea. I've mentioned that. Uh, I hate that VAR is taking the lead in deciding games for me the on-field ref should be taking the lead and just be guided by VAR bring incidents to their attention for review what I love in Australia is that they incorporate this they've incorporated this approach with an open dialogue for fans to hear you can hear the discussion process between the ref and the and VAR uh, and it's ultimately decided by the ref who gives the decision and it's clearly explained so there are no grey areas I think that's a good point I mean a lot yeah. of people have said in American football, that's the same. You hear the, com the the referee, you hear what he says and why he's given a decision. So it's, um, mm. I think that's something to agree with. Um, yeah. Ace, um, 
I don't know what Ace's surname is, but Ace, he's a, a active member. Um, he says, I'm a fan of VAR, uh, but it's a waste of time. I've seen occasions when it correctly administers the rules and then it gets vilified. It incorrectly administers the rules and it rightly gets vilified. It can't win. I've said for ages, it's a waste of time for being used for subjective calls for two reasons. Firstly, you can't trust idiot refs to call a foul red card, not respective of how many times they view it, they view an incident. We've seen it way too often, clear and obvious, clear and obvious nonsense. Secondly, as we saw with the pen awarded to Arsenal, um, on the last game they played against West Ham, I think it was. Half the world think it's a pen. Um, I don't it might it might be a different game actually. Uh, half the world think it's a pen. Half the world didn't. VAR is damned if it agrees with the ref. Damned if it don't. For example, both Jose and Keon criticised the use of VAR with the decision. I'm sure there were more. So that must have been the Arsenal Tottenham game. Um, game. Stick to matters of fact. He said offside or not, but ball out of play or not, tackle inside the box or not, etc. Matters of fact rather than opinion. Um, mm. We're off sides, sack off the lines. It takes two, if it takes two, longer than 20 seconds to judge on field calls as wrong without the use of lines, then the on field decision, irrespective of goal given or offside given, should stand. Yeah. Players, managers, and fans will cry about decisions if this happens, but they're already crying about the lines giving correct decisions uh, as mm. per the rules. The vast, vast majority of time, because of time because let's get it right we can all name a handful of wrong offside calls but correctly gives hundreds so they're saying they give hundreds of correct ones a season you can't have it both ways in my opinion without the use of lines i reckon it would speed up decisions and improve the viewing and that's what we spoke about before um niche Nutram said um get rid of var humans clearly can't use it properly so until that until that's the case um we may as well scrap it Talking about VAR every week is getting boring. Mm. So that's that's another one from him. Yeah. Um, Aaron Southard. Is it Southard? Southard. Southard. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Southard. For me, as annoying as VAR is, it can be so important to the game. Imagine losing a cup final to an offside. They just need to go about it in a different way. Have ex-players watching the videos to help the ref. Also, if the ref was, yeah. was mic'd up to hear how they come about their decisions, it's not perfect. But for me... They should fine-tune it and it can be vital to the game. So he's saying that it should be sort of uh, adjusted there. So I'm just going to go on to Facebook because there was a couple of comments in there, I believe. Um, any ex, of them comments you agree that, with? Or? That, that ex-players thing really, really hit me because that is something I'm like... I, I truly believe that the... the, the referee position needs to be rebuilt it's looked at as kind of like people that never played football like end up being refs when why can't we have ex-players or players becoming refs because that would change trouble a lot is though, the trouble is the ref the, the players as you know yourself playing you, yeah. you're going to think to yourself why am I going to put myself through that? And the money that these footballers have got, there's no way. Of course. Wanna... But when, when I say that, I mean, like, we need a, a change of the whole of the referee. Referee should be a highly paid job because it is, it's, it's an expertise type of thing. You're, you're managing 22 players. You have to make the correct decisions. It should be paid higher, which would obviously uh, entice more people to get into it. And then, 
also, I feel like players, ex-players, for example, mm. they understand the game. There's a lot of things that happen in the game which you only understand from having played the game properly. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like the natural tempo of the game, sometimes people going in for tackles and like uh, just making a rash challenge, but you know it wasn't intentionally rash. It was just this happened. I feel there's a lot of stuff like that which could be changed up. Obviously, this is me hoping and this is a dream world, dream scenario, but I would love to see that something like that in the future because I, I, I feel that a lot of these issues with the refs and stuff like that, a lot of them just come from them not having played football at a yeah. certain level enough to understand. So... Mm. Mm. No, I agree, cool. I agree. A uh, couple of comments on Facebook. Ian Mackay, he mm. says, I don't think there's a problem with the technology. It's like Hawkeye in tennis. It gives the right answers. The thing people, the thing is people's expectations of what VAR brings and does um, are different and it needs to work on absolutes. Um, Nick Thompson is saying that he thinks that for marginal calls, offsides just needs to be binned off. If it's a toenail or an arm hair offside, then it shouldn't be offside, clear and obvious. And this is the thing that got me. I think the <laughs> the turning point for me was watching Liverpool Everton in my bedroom um, mm. and Mane, uh, Henderson scoring the last minute winner, oh, running yeah, around yeah. my bedroom going yeah. crazy, like, we've done it 3-2 yeah. after seeing Van Dijk and Thiago injured. Or, yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then obviously they done the lines and even when they short showed the replay, I'm like, yeah, he's onside. He's yeah, onside. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh no, his sleeve apparently he's offside. It's like, it's that's not football. That's yeah, not football. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, that ruins it. Like, mm. that, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I, I do remember that. Yeah, it's just silly. Absolutely silly, yeah. Um, on Twitter, uh, John Driscoll, the Sky Sports commentator, he's the host of La Liga podcast as well. I had an interview on him uh, with him on season one. Uh, he is saying he was I was in favour, but I would get rid of it tomorrow. Um, the way it's been used has had a miserable effect on football. I wanted it because of the 2006 World Cup final. I'm 99.9% convinced that they used TV evidence to send off Zidane. The board being cleared before he headbutted Matarazzi. Um, the officials missed it, but 715 plus million people saw it on TV. Yeah. They were the only people who weren't allowed to look, the referees. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with it is that you can't just let video be used ad hoc. What I wanted was effectively what they had that night. Someone in the stands with a TV saying to me, saying to the ref, Zidane's nutted him or Maradona yeah. punched that or yeah. Henri handballed it. Yeah. But VAR was effectively brought in by referees and their chief concern was protecting themselves from criticism. The obsession yeah. with the letter of the law with offside yeah. to the millimetre yeah. is that it is, is miserable for the spectacle. It sucks yeah. the joy out of the game. Yeah. Having no fans in stadiums has done VAR a favour. It takes too long. It kills the emotion and the fans in the stadium want it gone. Football yeah. league matches without VAR are a relief compared to the Prem where a goal isn't a goal until a guy in Stockley Park has, has said so. Yeah. I would abolish it but then we would have to collectively grow up and stop moaning about human officials making honest mistakes. Yeah. Managers, managers and fans in the championship moan about decisions, but I say, be careful what you wish for. VAR is our collective punishment for moaning too much about match officials. And he says, anyway, I'm off to commentate on a championship match and I promise not to slaughter any officials if they make a mistake. <laughs> um, Scott Hughes has put... 
100% needed. The game's too fast for the old codger in the middle, but Mike Riley needs to get his mitts off, off it. Put an ex-player in charge of VAR, that's what you were just mentioning. Yeah. It'll bring the refs and the players closer together. 100%. Also, also we need to hear the conversations, he says. 100%. Rugby, that's what happens in rugby. You hear the ref. See, this is... Rugby is officiated so much better. You have to have respect for the ref in rugby, otherwise you get sent off. That's um, obviously, I wouldn't say I watch rugby all the time, but from speaking with rugby fans and then obviously watching certain rugby games, that's what it is. If you don't have respect for the ref, if you talk back in a certain way, there's none of this swearing, like you get mm. sent off and they're taught that discipline. And also when the refs make decisions, um, it's on the mic, you hear everything. And I think that would be better for refs as well because it's like, okay, it shows how they came to the decision. Some of these decisions could be human error, but I think it's more annoying when you don't hear the thought process or understand the thought process. That's when it kind of gets to you. So, mm. as I said, I, I still think it has a place, but it, it just needs to be fixed very quickly because next season if it's there like by the time when fans and stuff agree like they might tear up Stockley Park like <laughs> I, I, I think I'd go masked up as well and do it myself because <laughs> I can't I can't do another season like that like I just want to watch it there's as I said to you is it when I'm watching United or whatever I might be able to tolerate it just because I don't want like my team to suffer because of it but I watch mm. a lot of neutral games and I just want to enjoy them like I just want to watch it and not stop 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 all the time so mm. yeah hopefully they get it sorted yeah a couple more comments on Twitter Noel Donnelly um, says I hoped it would be more like the video ref in rugby I feel like yeah. it's taken all passion out of the game yeah. cannot celebrate a goal anymore needs to be more transparent if I could bin it I would also, it shows the standards of ref in England to be below average, yeah. uh, which is very true. But honestly, you've got to watch La Liga to see real bad referees. <laughs> um, I think this is the final comment off to put a Mark Baker. Uh, Mark says, I still think the debate should be split into two, being one, offside VAR and two, decisions VAR. I'm an advocate of decisions going to VAR because the chance to get multiple views at a game played at breakneck break, speed should be lead to better calls unless of course you have poor VAR officials offside VAR is so difficult because it clearly so tight that infuriates people but what is the solution the game has too much money involved to use the human eye to make in many scenarios impossible calls it's very difficult yeah. um, I think it's very fair but um, so that that are comments that we've had in there um, obviously feel free to jump on and comment again um, we're going to go now to the interview I did last night with Neil Atkinson. Neil's the host of the Anfield Rap. Um, they've been going for, well, a very long time. And as I said, they've had over 30 million uh, downloads worldwide. Um, he's going to talk about Liverpool and the Anfield Rap, how it started, and then talk a bit more about, in general, he mentions about VAR as well and touches on a bit more um, with Man United, Everton, Arsenal, a few things like that. So let's go over to Neil Atkinson and we'll be back after that. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm delighted uh, to be joined by Neil Atkinson. He's one of the main hosts of the hugely successful Anfield Rap. Their podcasts are multi-award winning and uh, they've had in excess of 30 million downloads worldwide. Neil, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having us, Kev. Great. So, Neil, as you know, I've been listening to the Anfield Rap from the very beginning, from day one. Apologies if you've sort of explained this before, but for the people that don't know how far it's come and from its beginnings, could you just explain to everyone sort of the journey that the Anfield Rap's been on to the sort of uh, giant it's become today? Yeah, we we, we did our first shows uh, in July and August of 2011. Um, and it was conceived of by by Andy Heaton and, and Gareth Roberts, the idea of doing something in person in Liverpool City Centre around the match and around that building a website. And the day of the Anfield Rap website launches, it's our second podcast and there's 60 articles on there by about 20 different authors. It was quite the sort of explosion, um, a fair bit of drama in there. And then from there, we relatively quickly were offered uh, the opportunity of doing a show with Radio City Talk uh, in Liverpool, who's the sort of speech version of the commercial station or was in Liverpool City Centre. Um, so they gave us a show. Um, and then quite soon after that, they offered us a, a live experience. So the idea of being able to do something live at five on a Friday evening, and that was so important to us and so important to the way in which we sort of cut our teeth, really. So not only were we doing podcasts, but we were doing live radio and everything we were doing was broadly speaking in person. Um, and then we tried to, after that to do with like an online magazine and it never really took, you know, it was some video elements in there and the idea that, you know, on, on the iPads as they were just beginning to come out, the idea you could scroll through and read magazine articles and all of that. And it was, it was interesting. We learned a lot from where and why it didn't work. Like I think one of the things we learned was what people wanted from the Anfield rap, not necessarily what people want full stop. But what they wanted from the Anfield rap was news and views about the football as it was happening. And the difficulty with doing a magazine was six-week run times and all of that sort of thing. So the radio show and the podcast were still working really, really well, but we just couldn't drive people successfully towards the online magazine. And then in the autumn of our 2014, um, we decided to push into doing subscription podcasts, podcasts to what people like. So that's what we chose to do more of. Um, and in the March of 2015, uh, we began to not just do two podcasts a week, one of which was a radio show, but to instead do somewhere between 10 and 14 podcasts a week, two of which remained free, one through the radio, uh, and the rest were to be put behind the paywall. And it was a bit of a, if I say a last throw of the dice, it makes it sound dramatic. Listen, that you know, the Anfield wrap one way or another would have sustained, but it would have been difficult to work out what to do with it from a business point of view, despite the fact that we'd done successful live events and we'd done successful uh, podcasts and, and stuff on the radio. So it worked, frankly, um, and we were able to commit to it full time in a gradual sort of way. Uh, we were able to grow the team and now we find ourselves uh, in Liverpool City Centre with an audio product and a radio, sorry, and a visual product. Um, still do two free podcasts a week, still do some free video, but we um, have paywalls and we've got an app um, and we do somewhere between 10 and 14 podcasts for behind the paywall and somewhere between sort of five and seven videos a week for behind the paywall, some weeks even more than that. And every single week, that's what we, we do, uh, whether Liverpool play or don't play. 
Um, you've got to be more creative when they don't play. Uh, the core of the business will always be around the current games, around transfer news, but we do a variety of different stuff and we try to reflect the City of Liverpool as it is now, um, while simultaneously being able to look back to the City of Liverpool as it was then. And I'd like to think, be able to project towards the way the City of Liverpool is in the future um, with the football team at its heart. Mm, yeah, no, it's been good to see it grow. I mean, I don't know what the plans are next for the Anfield Wrap. Obviously, this year hasn't helped what's just <laughs> gone on. But I mean, I've really, I've really been enjoying the audio documentaries that you've brought out, the ones that John Gibbons narrates, uh, the player profiles and uh, the history ones. Uh, is there anything else that you've got sort of lined up that you that you're looking for that's been sort of put on hold at all? Not put on hold. I think the the nature of this season has been, you know, I, it, it's it's interesting to talk about. Ultimately, around every match we do, across audio and video, I'd say we probably do at least three preview shows around every, certainly around every match week, because sometimes we talk about other teams, which we enjoy doing. Um, so we do at least three preview shows, possibly four or five uh, around every round of Premier League games and three previews around European games. And then we look back on Premier League games, three Anfield rap uh, audio shows. We'll look back on every Liverpool game uh, and take a different angle and a different view. And then also there'll be uh, two or three videos that will do that as well for us. In fact, at times even again, four or five, if, if it's a Premier League game, two or three, if it's a European and what that means is that this season, because it's been so condensed and so intense for the footballers, and trust me, they're the poor bastards who've got to do all the running around, but it's not given a lot of room to be able to do other things. And then within that as well, whilst there's some opportunities the pandemic's offered, there's still not the same opportunity to go out and meet people to do documentary work and all of that sort of stuff. So that has made it a little bit tougher. It's not been a decision to put things on hold because of the pandemic. It's more that the, the influence has been because you're just covering the games and covering the games. What you don't want to do is put a lot of work into something, launch it, and then realise that all anybody cares about is whether or not, you know, whether or not Salah's going to be fit for Saturday, because then it'd be a massive shame. But that's the way people, you know, people, football supporters think, do like the documentaries, as you described, and they do like that work, but they care more in the moment about the match that's coming next. So you need to you need to pick your moments to do that sort of work. So this week we've been doing a lot of stuff on how it's felt without football and a lot of stuff taking a breath and looking ahead to next season and what needs to come next for Liverpool. And we've done that in part because the gap Liverpool don't play for so long it allows a bit of thinking and breathing room for this work, knowing that people aren't kicking our door down to say, you know, we're, 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 if, you, if you're focusing on that, when are you going to do your weekend preview show on X, Y, and Z? So you've got to you've got to time these things a little bit and what the pandemic hasn't hasn't allowed. If I say the more thoughtful stuff, that's a real insult because I'd like to think that most of our work is quite thoughtful. But the more sort of considered, planned, edited, authored is perhaps the best word. The more authored content we've had to sort of just put on a little bit on the back burner. But we've, you know, I've I was I've been in meetings today about a load of stuff we've got coming in the summer, um, being in you know in different ways um, about stuff because that's where we've got to be creative. And that's where you get the opportunity to be creative. It's not like you've got to be like it's torture. You get to be creative. You get to have ideas. And you get to do the sort of work that you're describing, the player profiles and all of that. And I've really enjoyed the addition of the player profiles. I've enjoyed Ian Ryan's big hitters series this year. I've enjoyed Adam Smith's What Football Means to Me, you know, doing things a little bit differently where we can with that space while still remain remembering our responsibility is to talk about the football matches that Liverpool are playing and whether or not they're buying a centre-half, for an example. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I love the uh, post-match stuff. It's uh, if you win, it's great. You're sort of celebrating and listening to everyone else buzzing. If you lose, it's a bit of therapy that you've got other people sort of uh, sort of feeling your pain and sharing your pain, so to speak. But yeah, it's great. It's, there's been too much to latter for my liking. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> coming on to that, actually, my next question was going to be, um, obviously this season in our wildest dreams, you would never have thought we would not, we'd be out of the title race so early. I want to ask you, not for excuses, because I know that's very fashionable at the moment to say excuses, but reasons and logistic, um, logical reasons why you think um, this season's happened. I mean, I've got my own thoughts, but I, I, I want to hear what you think. Yeah, really. there are logical reasons and there are, there are, well, I don't think there are illogical reasons, but I'll, I'll, I'll come round to them last. I think there's, I think this season, listen, I think you can't not discuss the injuries. And I understand why people don't like the discussion of the injuries, but ultimately Liverpool were designed to play a certain brand of football that positions itself in a certain part of the pitch and that is underpinned by the pace and the presence of both Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez. I think one of the things that I found difficult in the the punditry class chat is the focus on Virgil van Dijk. Now, don't get me wrong, I think Virgil van Dijk is the best centre-half in the world. And I think Virgil van Dijk is the best centre-half in the world by the same distance that at his peak, Leo Messi was the best attacking footballer in the world. Not to say that van Dijk is in Messi's class because Messi's the greatest player ever to play the game. But my point is, is that you have Virgil and then there's a massive gap and then there's everybody else. There's one or two others. Koulibaly gets a mention. For that, you can read someone like Cristiano Ronaldo. But there is Virgil. There's a massive gap. There's everybody else. That said, I actually think that Gomez starts the season poorly next to Van Dijk. When Van Dijk gets injured, by the time Gomez gets injured, he's playing ever so well at the heart of that defence. And I think there was times last season where I think that Gomez was terrific. And his ability to cover, to read the game, to do well enough in his physical battles, but to also be remarkably quick on the turn is really important for Liverpool being able to play as high as they could. And the entire way in which Liverpool play as high as they could underpins everything that Liverpool try to do in terms of being on the front foot, pressing brilliantly, being first to every ball and penning teams in and eroding their confidence over the over a period of time in order to create good opportunities to stick the ball in the back of the net. And I think you genuinely can't look past what the injuries to the two of them does. Now, that said, I think that there will be a couple of conversations, I think, between the ownership, Mike Gordon... Um, Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp around whether or not it was a wise move to let Dejan Lovren go and replace him with a left-back. Now, Liverpool supporters clamoured for, for two, three seasons saying, we've got to cover full-back, we've got to cover full-back, we've got to cover full-back. Oh, I'm still here. Oh, yeah, no, it, just, yeah. it just cut off a bit there, sorry. Don't worry. So oh. Liverpool supporters clamoured for years saying, we've got to cover full-back, we've got to cover full-back. And, mm. and I understand why that was the, the clamour and the discussion but ultimately, the spine of a football team is where you need to have extra footballers. The spine of the football team is the bit that matters the most. And Liverpool effectively compromised having a fourth centre-half for having a second-choice left-back. Um, and I think that was a mistake. So while I think there's reasons, there's also a couple of mistakes in there. I don't think the squad build was quite right. 
And then come the start of the season, the plan is, will you move Fabinho back? But the issue with moving Fabinho back is that that means that you're going to have to move Henderson back into six. And with Henderson, there's a big question over, well, not a big question, but a, a relatively moderately sized question about his ability to go game after game. That said, I don't think Liverpool thought that Matip would have such a poor injury record this season and that you would effectively need Fabinho to, at least for a long period of time, become a centre-back. So all of this has knock-on effects really, really quickly. And then those knock-on effects end up pushing up the pitch. Um, within that, I think that you know Firmino's form has been a problem, but it's not a huge problem if there's other players around. But Mane's form has been a problem. And then that collective lack of confidence, especially in the league, spreads like wildfire. And we end up at the point domestically where Salah's form is now a little bit of a problem as well, domestically. I feel like for Liverpool, European football still remains different and there's still promise through the season in terms of European football. And then within that, you've got this chaotic structure. You have a, a not a great injury for Trent Alexander-Arnold, who transpires also has COVID. So he's struggling on the right-hand side. They don't trust Nico Williams to fill in for him with all the other things that are going on. I think if you've got Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk, you'll probably play Nico, Nico a little bit more, but they don't trust that because it's chaos around and all of these things it's you know the way Liverpool play is like the way any great side play you know Guardiola's Manchester City they play it's like it's the finely tuned watch and cog after cog after cog has just slipped out of place from a Liverpool point of view and they can't get the cogs back into position uh, this season and I don't think they're going to domestically to be honest with you Kev I'm not one who I don't feel fourth place is a runner and rider for Liverpool at the minute because to get it there's nine games left they'd have to win eight and draw one I think looking at it doing the maths that's what they'd realistically need and not there hasn't been a point through this season where this team's looked like it can win eight and draw one uh, after Van Dijk's injury against Everton um, they just haven't quite looked like they've got that in them or when Gomez gets injured on international duty I should say because they win the six after Van Dijk gets injured but from when Gomez gets injured at no point have they put a run together where they win eight out of nine games. So I don't think they can, and I don't think they can fight on two fronts either. So I think it will need the full reset. The thing is, though, I don't think it's terminal. Um, I don't think that Liverpool's issues are terminal. I don't think they, they speak of a complete sort of the need for a root and branch rebuild. And the other part of this, which some people would say was illogical, but I think is perfectly logical, is that, I think the cornerstone of so much of what Jurgen Klopp's done since he's come into Liverpool in 2015 has been built around the support and the relationship between the fans and the support. Yeah. I, I was reminded today of when he took the fan, he took the players to the fans when we drew 2-2 with West Brom and Jalbi. Yeah, I was there at that one. <laughs> and... He got loads of grief for that afterwards from <laughs> yeah, a lot of so old head. <laughs> well, and, uh, well, and a lot of old head Liverpool supporters mm. gave a lot of grief as well. But what he was mm. saying that day, he was he was he was telling two stories. One was to the fans to say, "If you give us everything, these will give you everything," and one was to the players to say, "If you give everything, you'll get everything back from them." Mm. And if you go through that season, there's three major things that happen at Anfield. That's the first one. The second one is the walkout against Sunderland, and the third one is the Borussia Dortmund game. And they tell a story of a fan base that is genuinely really well connected, really well networked, really close, really tight, but which can also have massive implications for what happens on the pitch. And I think at the end of that season, Jurgen Klopp is able to sit down with everyone at Liverpool and say, you know, the thing that happened at Sunderland, that's what we don't want. Do you know what we want? We want the things that happen on the other side. And Klopp, 
Klopp's a kickoff merchant. Like Klopp, when he first the first day he comes, he kicks off on the photographers for taking his picture loads. The second group of people he kicks off on is the Liverpool supporters for not being right. You know, and I think that's a massive credit to the way in which he is. You know, he's kicked off on just about everybody in uh, that surrounds him on English society and every, you name it, he's kicked off about it, Klopp, and mm. I love him for it. He's an absolute narc. But the, he kicked off on us first. He said, this isn't good enough, what you are do, and you've got to be better. And I think everything he's about been about with his players and with this team was that cornerstone of, you do this for these people. And I think there's so many instances as you go through year on year on year. You know, there was... I was lucky enough to be in Rome when they got through to the Champions League final. And it was really clear. They got a banner. The players, they came back out. They got in front of us all because we kept in forever in Rome. And they got a banner about Sean Cox and they all held the banner up. Mm. And I think each of these moments as you go through really crystallised the idea that that team was connected to these people. And mm. that that's what Klopp was about. And I think Liverpool have suffered in the absence of those supporters, not from the point of view of roaring or putting the opposition off, just instead that sort of reminder that this is who you do this for. You won the league for these people. You just went out there, you won 26 out of 27 games to ensure no one has a chance of finishing ahead of you for these people. This is what you did, and this is the why. And I think Liverpool have struggled for the why. And I think if you look through a lot of great players and a lot of great sides, I think there's a difficulty that it has when its why disappears. And what I mean by that is that it's not as simple as the why is obviously to win at the very highest level, but there are other whys because it's not like every team does every great team with every load of great players and doesn't win the league every year. That's not what happens. You can't, not everyone can win the league. So you've got to have other wise. And I think it's difficult to get a group of players who are used to glory at the highest level to fully commit every fiber of their being for a fight for fourth. I think that that's not where Liverpool need to be now psychologically as a group. They need to be fighting for first and fighting for honors and fighting for silverware. That's who mm. they now are. But I think if you've got 55,000 maniacs, there, reminding you of the why, reminding you that your mm. why is you're just playing for them today. You're not playing for the, you're not playing for the league. City have won that. That's gone. Don't worry about that. And I think Liverpool have missed that at the high ebb and the idea of being acclaimed as champions, and they missed it at the low ebb when they lose the first league game in '65 against Burnley. That's the moment they need to be clapped off. That's the moment they need a big thank you from those supporters saying you, you, you know, the the, the the Liverpool teams that won three leagues on the bounce didn't go 65 games at home unbeaten. Let's clap these off and let's say, right, we all start again, a new run. And they haven't had that either. So they haven't had the highs and they haven't had the comfort in the lows. They haven't had the bollocking in the lows if it's not going well enough. And I do think that a massive part of the Klopp project has been that. And the loss of that, I think, has really hurt these footballers on top of all the other adversity they've had to deal with and a couple of bad decisions in the run. But the man... The man that said that you was a better pundit than him, Gary Neville, um, he uh, said that he's, he's often brought up many times that when you go to Anfield as a player, the pressure that the opposition feel under from the atmosphere mm. and the noise, they're, they're just not getting that now, are they? I mean, that, that's another thing that I think is massive. Um, yeah, I think I think that's right. But I think I think on that, you know, I think that is right. And I think it's worth saying that, you know, the atmosphere, the noise, but also the pomp. Like, I think a little bit of... Uh, Ultimately, what I've noticed from these sides who come to Anfield, kept the shell, kept the shape, is the pomp and the significance of the occasion. They've been able to control it. They've been able to sort of keep it under control. They've been able to stay emotionally neutral. To use a different location than Anfield, we on the 30th of December, it was a Wednesday night between Christmas and New Year, Liverpool go to Newcastle. 
and we play out a nil-nil. And Newcastle shape, they keep the shell. Liverpool should still score. They have opportunities. But Newcastle are able to keep the discipline and keep the shape. If that game for the first 70 minutes was played out exactly the same, but with 55,000 Newcastle supporters in, I'd, I'd be amazed if it finished nil-nil. That's not to say Liverpool would win it. The emotion of the occasion is between Christmas and New Year. Everyone's out on the ale all day. The atmosphere is absolutely rocking and rolling. And what I, what happens is that the Newcastle players break. They lose discipline. They could lose discipline and it could win them the game. They could go up the other end and make it 1-0. And then what we have, we hold and we all fall back. And everyone cheers every tackle. Everyone cheers every clearance. But what would have happened was the emotion... No one would have been able to control themselves. And I think that that game finishes 1-0 in either direction, probably give Liverpool a 3-4 and four chance, Newcastle a 1-4 and four chance, just because Liverpool have got better players. But the game breaks open. And what I think has been happening is that everyone's been able to control, control their emotions better. You put them at Anfield when it's vociferous, or you put them in front of their own fans even, where you're, you know, Fulham, we get a horrible 1-1 at Fulham. But there's every chance Fulham last 20 are taking more risks. If there's Fulham supporters in roaring them on saying, yeah. we need to win this. Mm. And I think that that's, that's, I think that's really made football quite odd this season. And a lot of what is important for a football team to be able to control their emotions in those circumstances is different. That said, I don't think Liverpool have controlled their emotions particularly well in front of nobody. I think they've lost their heads when when opponents have frustrated them. I think they've become almost bored in games. I don't think they've managed. You know, you watch City. It's not like City are whacking everyone fours and fives and sixes. The game against Everton, I thought, was a great example. Everton, really well organised, good sides, good lads, big sides. To keep them at bay, but City just control it. And the, the Manchester City attitude was, if this takes 120 minutes, we're going to score and you're not going to score. And we'll wait I think Liverpool have got themselves into a circumstance where they've grown in anxiety. They've grown feeling like they're not playing well enough, so they're more anxious to try and to, but they've not been able to control this, and they've allowed their own emotions to run away with them. The one thing I'd say is, let's get supporters back in and see the way it looks next year. I agree, I agree. Last one on Liverpool then. Um, let's say, I, I love the Transfer Committee podca- podcast <laughs> that you do. Budget together, everyone yeah. has their own little budget. Group of people pick who they're going to sign. But I'm going to ask you to do that a little bit earlier, but not in as much detail. You're in charge, Summer. Who are you shipping out? Who are you targeting? Not specifically individual players of who you're bringing in, but areas that you think we need to... So I think I think a lot of this is influenced by where what what competition they're in next season. So if they're if they're in if they're in no European competition, literally none, then I think you can actually broadly speaking, almost look to slim the squad down a little bit rather than actually add num. I'd still be adding one or two, but you don't need to go into it with as many quite as many players. Um, I think if they're in Europa League, they almost need to have a little bit of more strength in depth, and it's not necessarily about quality. Um, and if they're in the Champions League, I think they could do with adding a little bit of depth and a little bit of quality. Uh, in the Europa League, I think it's it's a very strange thing. Like, I'm not... I really like Genie Wijnaldum. Mm. But if Liverpool don't, aren't playing any European football next season, for instance, then I would say adding a midfielder to replace him is pretty low on the desirability list. I want to sort out centre-half and I want to add a really good forward. And they'd be my priorities. But if Liverpool have got Europa League and and if they've got Champions League, then I think they do need another really athletic central midfield body in there who can who's tactically switched on and who can cover a lot of ground. Liverpool have got seven central midfielders if you don't count Wijnaldum. You know they've got seven. Uh, there's Fabinho and Henderson. Um, there's there's Keita and Oxlade Chamberlain. Uh, there's Thiago and Jones and there's Milner. That's seven centre mids. That's that's a good number of central midfielders. But 
I think if you if you haven't got if you've got the stresses, especially of Europa League football, you almost just need another lad who's, who's, who's quite good and who can do a lot of water carrying for you between playing Thursdays and Sundays. So I think it is difficult to plan Liverpool summer at the moment because you literally just don't know what competition they're in. For me, I'd always be a little bit more radical. I don't think Liverpool needs to spend. Let me phrase this the right way. I think Liverpool can do some nice work around the squad without having to spend a fortune, but they should spend a lot of money on an, on an attacker. I think this is the summer where Liverpool should consider spending nine figures on a centre-forward, on a, or more accurately, on, on an attacking player, um, regardless of where they finish. I think this is the... this is Liverpool broke the world record for a goalkeeper and they broke the world, world record fee for a defender. And I'm not saying they need to necessarily break the world record fee for, a, for an attacker because that would be to break the transfer world record full stop. But I think if there's ever a summer where Liverpool need to go really, really heavy on the next phase of keeping this club as a super club, whichever level of European competition it's in, including none, then I think it's I think it's time to go very, very heavy on someone who plays in that front three. Um, and, you know, so far, Jota is the most expensive of Liverpool's attacking purchases. Um, I think it may well be time that, you know, Liverpool spend... Everyone forgets there's a summer. It's after Coutinho is gone. Liverpool spend 50 million on Keita, 50 million on Fabinho, 69 million on Becker and... 18 million on Shakiri. What I would say is the repayments on those transfers ended. It's finished now. You know, the, the Liverpool don't do much the year after and they do what they do last summer. But the repayments when Liverpool went heavy um, across um, 17, from 2017 to 2018, they go relatively heavy in 2016. But when they go heavy 2016, 17 and 18, all those transfers are repaid now. So it's time to get some more on on the old, you know, on the old higher pay purchase on the never never. Now's yeah. the time, and I think that this is the summer to do it. So if it's me, I would. If, if there's a good midfielder to be done at a good price, I'd do it. I would shift on Origi, Shakiri, probably Flipman Amino if you can get a, a decent fee mm-hmm. for him because you need to get some cash in. Um, there's the other obvious lads who are on loan like Gruwich and Wilson I think you might have to accept lower fees for them like you might mm-hmm. have to for a Rigi but now's the time to do that churn and that recycling um, I'd look to bring Elliot back and have him in the fold I'd get the best forwards you possibly can I'm talking Sancho I'm talking Haaland I'm talking Mbappe in a wild world mm-hmm. I'm saying you say statements of intense centre forwards and you go and get one of that class and then I'd be quite happy as I say with a decent midfielder Make a decision on, on players like Simicass. I'd send Nico Williams out on loan because I think the other thing Liverpool are going to have to do is they're going to have to, at least for four months, carry five centre-halves because they don't know not what Nick, Matip, Van Dijk and Gomez come back in. Mm-hmm. So I think you can have Gomez come back and be able to say to him, listen, Joe, for 12 months, we might need you to cover right back and left back. I know you don't want to. But we just might. This is the, this is the price of admission now. We just might need you to be able to have, be around to do that for us. So you're going to be an all-purpose defender as you get your legs back and you find your feet, and then we'll reassess next summer. Maybe then move Matip on. So I think you end up in a situation where you buy Kabak, and then you get the because it's a good deal around Kabak, and then you get the next best sense back you can possibly get for your money. So you end up. Oh no, sorry. Or my other thing is, there's the lads at Wolves we were, we were linked with really madly last couple of days of the transfer window. Sace. Oh, yeah, and, I think, yeah, yeah. and I think from a Liverpool point of view, Sace, he's a big lad. Yes, he's 30. But if you could get him on a little two-year deal or something, so you buy Kabak, you get Sace, and you put 100 million quid on the centre-forward. Sace can play holding midfield, he can play left-back, and he can play centre-half for you. 
So you have five centre-backs, Gomez, Van Dijk, Kabak, Matip, Sace. Mm. There's room there for them all to get games at some point. They can move around, you know, Gomez right-back, Sace left-back, Sace steps into midfield. I don't like buying another 30-year-old, don't get me wrong, but he's Premier League proven. He wins his battles, but you put your money then, and I mean a lot of money, on the centre-forward. If you're not going to do that, then you put the money on a second centre-half. But for me, I want to see the money go on a centre-forward. And then from there, your next big question, which they'll have the answer to better than we do, Kev, is what are the expectations around the fitness of Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain? There needs to be an answer to that at Liverpool. I think it's really interesting they brought the new um, heads of recovery in uh, last, last couple of months. Because for me... If I'm trying to plan next season, you know, I don't think you, I don't think it's fair to be able to ask and expect a hundred percent answer on the question of what state are we expecting Gomez and Van Dijk to come back. But I do think it's fair to be able to ask someone and say, how many league games can we reasonably expect out of Kaiser and Oxley Chamberlain? Because if you can expect a decent number of league games out of them, because we're going to condition them, we're going to do this work with them, that work with them. You know, if you said to me right now, you'll get 30, Kaiser and Oxlade-Chamberlain will be fully fit insofar as anybody ever is and available for 30 league games each next season. I'd say we're flying. If someone's looking at them and they're saying, not sure you're going to get them for 19 each, then I might be saying, well, you're going to need another centre mid, aren't you? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, Kaiser's just been a... He's, he's just so looks so good and then gets injured, comes back, looks good, injured. It's yep. very frustrating, very frustrating. Um, Neil, one, this is the first podcast back that myself and uh, Andrew Dallas are doing for the Football Debate Room. And uh, the, the main topic that we've put out to everyone, and I'm sorry, you're probably going to be sick of talking about this, but it's VAR. Um, because it's been so long since we spoke about it. I just wanted to know from you, when it was announced that it was going to be coming into the game, what were your thoughts at the time? Were you pro it or were you anti it? And now you've seen what's been going on with it throughout the seasons that we've had it. What would you do? Would you keep it? Would you, if you were running football, what would you be doing with VAR? Because it's a, a question that doesn't seem to end, does it? No, I, I, to be honest with you, I think you can, you can keep it, but you just make it time limited. So one of my key mm-hmm. things is I would keep it. I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I think you've got to say, you know, if you're going to, whether it's offsides, whether it's whatever you want, I think you've got to say everything. If you stop the game, it's got to be within 30 seconds. Because for me, you know, that's the, you're almost time limiting the language. If it's clear and obvious, then you know one way or the other within 30 seconds. Mm. If it's not, then it's not. And I think that that's, I think that that's what I, you got, you know, you stick with what's on pitch. I think what's killing the game is the idea of it over and over again. I would actually argue that you can, you know, you can, you can conceivably say you can limit that. You can pull that further and further back. You can say it's 10 seconds. Do you know what I mean? Whatever we feel comfortable with, I think we should sort of say. I think the offsides thing, listen, if they're going to actually get offsides done by artificial intelligence so it's immediate, then I think that that will lead people to be more positive. If things are getting checked that quick, that it's, you know, it's absolutely spot on over and over again, then I think that that'll help. But ultimately, um, one of the problems that you've got is in all seriousness, I think the standard of refereeing is dreadful in the Premier League. So I'm happy to sit here and go, we don't like VAR and this is why, this is why, and this is why, and this is why. But the other thing I keep saying around VAR is it's the video assistant referee. It's not, VAR makes it sound like it's a robot. It's not, it's just another fella. And it's another one of these fellas who's been getting decisions wrong for a while. 
And what I think is difficult, we've got to remember it's a human thing and it's a human creative process. And it, it doesn't therefore like make all technology in football be absolutely pointless or not or, or unworkable if these people aren't quite on up to it and aren't good enough. And also in general to think, just get rid of it. That's absolutely fine. But these, these fellas have been this bad for a while. You know, I'm watching people literally strangle Mo Salah and not get a free kick given against them. I'm watching people put their hands on his neck and no one gives a free kick. And because it's not in a certain area of the pitch, it's not as though the video, video assistant referee would give it, but also it, it doesn't seem like it's clear and obvious. And I think in general, there are issues around around English refereeing. Now, listen, there's there's issues around the way in which the video assistant referee has been used in other countries, and there's issues around the assistant, the, the, the refereeing in other countries. What I think is really interesting is I feel from the outside and an occasion the inside with Liverpool, that a Champions League level, it feels like the video assistant referee process works smoother and the quality of the refereeing is better. So what that tells me is that what all of this is, is it's actually a conversation about the standard of refereeing. That the best referees get Champions League games, they get nominated nominated by the peers and by the national associations. They're the ones who get to go and do Champions League games. We send Anthony Taylor, which is staggering. Um, they, but he's deemed to be one of the best referees in England, which again suggests that if that's true, then he is the best of a, st- therefore of a very, very bad bunch. When we get referees from overseas in the Champions League, repeatedly, I feel games flow better. They're actually more physically aggressive. Uh, the less pernickety, but nailed on fouls get given and yellow cards. They had a yellow cards, even in the first 10 minutes of games get given attacking players who are getting booted, get protection. Simultaneously, the game's competitive in the middle of the park. I just genuinely think the standard of refereeing is better. So I think that the problem with with talking about the video assistant referee is that what you are actually reduced to talking about is just more bad refereeing. So I'd be happy to get rid of it as long as we get rid of it, not because we think that these fellas who are refereeing English league games are all great. You know, David Coote is still getting to referee English football at the highest level if you get rid of the video assistant referee, if we're all up for that and we're happy to sort of all buy into that, then absolutely fine. But the issue isn't the technology. It isn't even the time-limited aspect of it or otherwise. Although, as I say, that is what I do. It's the fact that these fellas just aren't very good and they're not very good at a lot of the basics and they seem... I always remember one Kev from 13, 14, Howard Webb, who was often talked about as though he was the best referee since sliced bread. We go to Arsenal in the fifth round of the FA Cup and we get a pen. Suarez gets fouled in the penalty area. We're flying at the time. We've beaten Arsenal 5-1. Um, and Suarez gets fouled in the penalty area. I think Arsenal are 2-0 up at the time. We get a pen. Yeah. Gerrard yeah. scores 2-1. Ten minutes later, Suarez absolute nailed on penalty. Mm, I remember. Mm. And Webb doesn't give it. And I think the reason Webb doesn't give it is in, his, in Webb's head, he thinks, I'll tell you why, he's dived for one of these. And if I give both... And then I look at the telly and he's and I read see the back page of the papers tomorrow and Liverpool win this cup tie. I am gonna get slaughtered because everybody says he's a cheat this fella. And I think he doesn't give it because he's concerned about the media and the media backlash, genuinely. Because he thinks if he's con me for one of these, I am gonna get it in the neck. And so he doesn't referee the incident. He referees the idea that it's Suarez, there's already been one, and he referees that context. And it's Sunday, it's the half four. It's the game that everyone's watching. It's Arsenal versus Liverpool. It's on BBC. Do you know what I mean? That's what he's refereeing, and that's what he's thinking. I've got to protect myself from. 
these fellas are doing. I think these fellas are thinking, right, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville are going to pull me to pieces on X or Y, so I've got to make sure and I can't do this and, you know, you know Salah does that. And then that stuff further reinforced when, for instance, you know, when the game just gone, you've got Neville saying that the way in which Kane wins a free kick, a penalty, sorry, you're cute. You might not like it, but it's cute. And then within that, you, the, 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 that opens up a whole world of stuff. Is that for some players, mostly English ones, it's cute. For others, it's it's cheating. It's it's bringing the game into disrepute, and all of this sort of stuff is an ongoing problem. And I think that referees are, to be fair to them, in the midst of that maelstrom, they're in that ongoing problem. But ultimately, they're just not good enough. And I think that the, the fellow who appears from the outside, there's three referees. One of which I think is good. One of which I think is a head case, and one of which I think is last but they appear to care the least about the perception. So the one who I think is good is Oliver, and he just cracks on. The one who I think is a head case is, is, uh, is Mike Dean, capable of anything at any time. And the one who I think don't think is very good, but is very strong. And Martin Tyler once said something on a commentary is Martin Atkinson. And there was a commentary, and I think it might have been the, um, the Origi foul in the run-up to the goal, yeah. given goal at Old Trafford, where Martin Tyler said... It would take a brave video assistant referee to overrule Martin Atkinson. And I remember thinking, what if he's fouled him and he's missed it? Then it shouldn't be about so this clash of personalities. Like, here's Martin Atkinson, what, he's going to go to Stockley Park and knock him out? Is that what we're meant to think? That's ridiculous. But it's that idea, I think, within all of this, that there's, I'm fine for these fellas just to be humans and for them to have characters. I really am. But then we've got to sort of acknowledge all of that. And then what we've also got to say is, can we just try and make a level playing field for all the footballers? Mm. Whether they're the England captain or not. But Shearer once nearly kicked a lad's head off his shoulders. Shearer used to do unreal things when he was England captain. He used to do <laughs> My dad always things. goes on about that. England captains get away with murder. He nearly volleyed Neil Lennon. Was it Neil yeah. Lennon? Gilbert Street, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, I mean, but we've seen it. But, but that being funny about it, Kev, you know, we've seen it. We've seen the benefits of it. I've seen Gerard referee games. I watch Paul Scholes referee games. I've seen Gerard referee games. You know, Gerard basically gets Tony Hibbert sent off. He basically says to the referee, you've got to send him there. Mm. And the ref goes, well, you are England captain, Stephen, and a legend of the game. You're right, son. <laughs> Tony, come here, red card. Well, you know. We've seen the benefits of it, but I think that that's where referees, that's where they have got to be really, really good and really, really strong. Yeah. And I've seen, as I say, I remember towards the end of his career, Lampard, I felt like Lampard was refereeing games. As I say, Skulls was refereeing games. Liverpool have benefited from it as well. I'm sure we have historically, but these fellas have all got to be better. But just because it's Kane, he gets a free, shouldn't get one from the media either. A couple of quick fire questions then, Neil, before I let you go uh, on other um other club, so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, what do you think? Good enough for the United job or not good enough? Oh, I've lost it there, Kev. Can you ask that one again? Oh. Yeah, can do. Um, yeah, your camera's gone, it's just got your I'll name. Don't worry about the, cam- the camera's oh, okay. okay, uh, okay, couple of quick fire questions then before we let you go, Neil. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Man United manager, good enough for the job or not, in your opinion? Not, not in my opinion, I think he's. I think that Manchester, it feels at times like Manchester United are going to relive what Liverpool did um, after 1990, but in a different order. And for me, Solskjaer is really reminiscent of Roy Evans. And I mean that as a compliment, in a sense, to both of them, in that I think Evans does pretty well in a difficult scenario with a slightly difficult group of, group of players and gets a lot out of a squad. 
I think that's what Roy Evans has done. I think that's what Solskjaer is doing. It's done with a lot of force of personality, but it's not a force of personality in a traditional way in terms of it being very alpha male. It's very much about getting the very best out of people and getting the best out of them in a certain relation. But whether or not there's an there's an ingredient that takes you that extra 10 strides that you need to do to be able to... For Evans, it was match Alex Ferguson. And for Solskjaer, it's match, match Klopp and Guardiola. Whether or not that ingredient is there, it might not be. So ultimately, Solskjaer might end up proving himself to be a really quite good manager at a difficult time, but not one who can secure the major honours that Manchester United should expect and that that budget should expect. Mm. Uh, Mikel Arteta, what do you think of the job he's doing at Arsenal and do you see him succeeding there? Or again, is that a, a, a one that may be a bit too too hard for him at the moment? No, I think I think Arteta looks to me like he's got a really clear idea of what he's trying to do game to game and also overall vision. And I think he's shown he's capable of making some really, really big calls. For instance, the way he's backed David Luiz, I think is really interesting in terms of understanding a dressing room and understanding a process. I think one of the problems Arteta's got is this is a, this season's a funny season, and last season was a funny season around top four. This season's a funny season. Um the fans, the exhaustion, the schedule. Last season, I think it was just a lull because City and Chelsea ultimately weren't taking themselves seriously enough to be able to, you know, it's almost like a few clubs have had a bit of time where they've not been, because of Guardiola and City and the money, they've almost been going, well, we can almost have a couple of seasons off because he's too good. Mm. And Liverpool haven't done that. And what they've realised is that, well, there's no guarantee that Guardiola and City, they're not going anywhere anytime soon, so you've got to get a plan together. My point here is that I just think there's always going to be too many bodies in the way for Arsenal. The worst thing that could happen to Arsenal this season is if Leicester finish in the top four. Hmm. Because that now puts Leicester year in, year out, able to have similar budgets and similar aims to Arsenal. So not only have they now have they got to find a way to get past at least one of Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool, then they've got Leicester, they've got Spurs um, within there. And then on top of that, they've got a slightly resurgent Everton and they've got to clamber over all of these. And I just think that's going to be so hard. And if top four goes back to usual, where it's you've got to get the other side of 74 points, I just think if you're Arsenal, that looks like it's going to become a steeper and steeper climb. And so I think it could be hard for Arteta. I think he's capable of doing it in the same way that it's clear. Solskjaer can keep getting Manchester United into the top four. But whether or not you can make that extra step with the resource question, I think it's so hard. Yeah. And then Ancelotti at Everton, what do you think the sort of realistic goals are for him? Because it uh, looked like at a stage that they'd be really good. I mean, they're still in the fight for fourth, obviously. I think James Rodriguez being injured is a massive blow. But what do you think on Ancelotti and Everton and their, uh, their realistic goals? I think the big question on Ancelotti and Everton is whether or not how long a haul is Carlo in it for? Because if Carlo's in it for four to eight seasons, and I think he might be, because I think he likes where he lives. I think he likes the life. I think he likes the feeling that he can, you know, that he is still Carlo Ancelotti and Everton is still Everton. And not that he's doing them a favour by being there because no one's bigger than, than, than the club and that even goes for Everton Football Club. I think he's... I think... But I think if, if Carlo... Like, if he genuinely thinks, I'm going to finish my career as Everton manager and it's going to go for as long as it goes, then I think he can he can really get something out of them because I think he can keep the best players and improve the recruitment over a period of time. All of that said, there's every chance that Alan 
doesn't improve for a season but worsens. The core rate doesn't improve going into next season but worsens. You know, you go through that Everton side, there's a lot of players who are, are of a certain age. And I think that what Everton needs is for the lads who are sort of 21 to 24, they need them to really step up. And I think that that will be the defining factor as to if they really, really step up. And at some point, they'll cash in on Richarlison and how they do in the aftermath of that with Ancelotti, ideally for them, will show how well they do. And I think Ancelotti's done a good job so far. And and I think he's. I think it's good to have him around the place. Yeah, I agree. So finally, Man City. Oh, my beach. <laughs> Does he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he mm. loves Crosby Beach and that's what I walk every day. Lovely. Um, he's, 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 he seems like a really nice bloke, Ancelotti. Yeah. I don't think anyone in football's got a bad word to say against him. Um, finally, Man City then. Obviously, they're going to win the league. Do we fancy them to win it all? Or could there a certain team in red spoil their party bit by Munich maybe in the semi-final or if uh, Liverpool maybe get to the final and it's a all-Premier League final, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think I think I think City would find a final really difficult actually um, in the Champions League. Uh, mm. I think it's I think it'll be a real dark night of the soul for them. They could almost do ultimately with coming up against, for instance, I mean, within that sort of conversation, the extent to which I think it's in City's interest to get Paris Saint Germain in that semi-final, not because I think Paris Saint Germain are markedly better or worse than than Bayern Munich. But because Bayern Munich will be able to play with control and poise, deal with the setbacks when they come and react to them. It's easy to imagine a Paris a Paris Saint Germain side having a really bad half an hour against anyone. It's really difficult to imagine a really bad Bayern Munich half an hour in a semi final of a Champions League. So I think that that's the City problem. Is that I think City have got a bad half an hour in them even now, even this season, even after all the control they've showed shown. And I also think that the Manchester United defeat was a real reminder that City have been brilliant at managing game states, but it's one thing to manage game states level or ahead. It's another thing to manage it if you end up a goal behind. And I think that at some point to win the Champions League, City will have to keep their nerve in a situation which isn't friendly for them. And that's where I think it'll be a real, real test for them because I think they will feel as though this season is such a massive opportunity. And I've seen the City side in the past find that moment a difficult one to deal with. And so I still, if I say, you know, I think City could well be the best team in Europe, but the best team in Europe does not win the European Cup every year. Uh, and in a lot of years doesn't win the European Cup. And I think that City... There is, there's going to be a sticky 20, 25, 30 minutes at some point for Manchester City. And how they deal with that is going to define whether or not they can they can lift the honours. Time will tell. Listen, Neil, thanks so much for doing this. Um, just wanted to give you the opportunity to tell everyone where to find yeah. the Anfield Wrap and where to subscribe if they wanted to join. And, uh, yeah, the Anfield um, and download the app. Download the app, probably the best way on the Play Store or on uh, the Apple Store. If you just go in there, find the Anfield app, download the app, you get some free tokens. You can listen to the subscription-based stuff there if you want. There's the free stuff that's on there. There's the writing and there's the video. Great. Neil, thanks so much for doing this. No worries, Kevin. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, Neil. Okay, thanks to Neil for doing that interview with us. Um, I'm sure you'll agree uh, he's a really good talker of football and uh, up with uh, Graham Hunter, who we had an interview with in season one. I say that too, probably, in my opinion, they're the messies of uh, sports journalism and the uh, podcast. So uh, cheers, guys, for do- uh, cheers, Neil, for doing that. And um, 
Hope you guys enjoyed it. Right, last thing before we uh, wrap this one up then, mate. Uh, Champions League draw and the Europa League draw has been made. Uh, one of my teams is in it. Your team is in the Europa League. Um, Liverpool are in the Champions League quarterfinal draw. So let's talk about your boys first. Um, well, both of them actually, because we could end up with a situation which I think happened recently, didn't it? Um, it could end up being a Man United-Arsenal final, which would be... Yeah. It will either be the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, depending on who would win that one and <laughs> the amount of grief you give your Arsenal boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Champions League final um, could end up being Man City versus Chelsea or Liverpool, depending on how uh, how they go. But let's talk about mm-hmm. United first. Um, they got Granada, um, I believe. And then who is it that they play next? Because I think that um, they can't uh, meet Arsenal. but um, no. they, So they can only meet Arsenal in the final, basically. Yeah. So um, what do you think? What do you reckon of your uh, your chances? You're happy with that draw? So for, so we've got Granada. Like, mm. it, it, it's... We have to win that. There's no if, buts or maybes. And then after yeah. that, we can face either Ajax or Roma. Once again, I'm accepting, like no excuses like win win that or nothing like uh united like I, i've given ollie his time it's time for him to win something because also given Mourinho won this competition um if if we're gonna say that ollie's an improvement on that he has to bring this home for me i don't i don't look at any of those teams um and feel that I, I can't see us winning. That's it. I expect us to be in the final. And I, I probably expect it's tight, the other ones. Villarreal, Arsenal. Probably. I'm giving you the chance now to play God and uh, you get to pick your finalist. Uh, if it's, let's say, Man United get there. Yeah. Are you picking Arsenal to, to have that opportunity of ruining their day and ruining their night or are you choosing not to have them just in case they ruin you you've got a pick I, I don't think I'll be I'll be deadly honest I don't think I'd want to play Arsenal in a final I think mm. I think that Arsenal right, right there's two ways of me putting this I think that United, with the players we've got and our strong squad out there, for example, the full squad, Rashford, Cavani, Martial, Bruno, Pogba, maybe Scott Tomanay, Shaw, Maguire, Maguire, Bailly and Wambasaka. If we've got that squad, mm. like that team, I say, like, we win. Like, I, I definitely believe we win. But the problem with Arsenal is Man United is a cup final for for Arsenal. It's it's literally a cup final. They they step up all sorts of levels. So that game is always like there's always if they, get, if they get you in the cup final, it literally will be. A it's cup a cup. Final, I know, and 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 know that's where I, I'm not. I, I don't fear them, but I just know that we need our best squad to beat them in that final. Like, that's the truth of it. We need our best team because they actually, on their day, if they pull out their their best team, like, with all these youngsters, the way that they're playing, 
they can cause problems. Like Saka, Odegaard, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe. If they're, if they're all out, like it's not an easy game. Like These guys are good young footballers. So... Um, as a neutral, I'd really like to see that final. I think it'd be a good one. Yeah. I think it'd be a really good one. I think we have to win because, as I said, if we didn't win, like Chelsea beat them in the final years ago uh, and Arsenal haven't won a European trophy for so long. So if they won that, and that's my that's my my banter point for them for all the time. Like I just get onto them that... I send them pictures of Belletti. I love it. Like, I love it. Like, <laughs> so if they won it against us, I'd be, I'd be finished. Like, there's yeah. not much more to go to. So I think we'd see you hiding from your phone for a long 100%. time. I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll, and I'll say that from now. I'll, I'll definitely, definitely deactivate and, and go away because that, that's unthinkable. I'll be honest. <laughs> okay, Champions League then. Uh, some tasty tyres there. Tasty. Uh, Man, Man City versus Dortmund, Porto yeah. versus Chelsea, Bayern, Paris Saint-Germain and obviously Real Madrid, Liverpool. Um, can we just talk a little bit before we mm. talk about the actual fixtures? Yeah. This this boy, Haaland, I mean, oh, how man. ridiculous is he at the moment? It's it's, it's unreal. It's, it's actually, it, it doesn't even, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like when they laugh and joke and say, this guy came out of a, a serum or something like that, or he's 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 had the the what is it the Captain America super serum? Like uh, it's uh, it seems like that because some of the stuff he's doing is just f- fake. Like you're coming into the Champions League, the hardest competition there is, and he's scoring goals that I would score in a park against. 13 year olds you know what I mean like rolling them and just just it, it just seems like every time he shoots it goes in like and I, I don't I, there's no way he can just be like he obviously is a great finisher but you know like when everything's going for you it just seems like everything he does goes for him like I think he shot on the weekend in the last minute um to equalize on like the 93rd minute and he shot and it went through the keeper's legs it's just like Everything goes in for him, so it just looks to me that um, it's crazy. I, I haven't seen a, a finisher that good in that young, at that young age, yeah. uh, ever. I haven't seen a young finisher that good. Yeah, that young. you're right. He just you're right. Ridiculous, and he seems to be. I mean, I don't think I can't. You say that young, I, but I I also say there aren't many elder finishers that good. Like, like no, apart, you're right. Apart from honestly, like apart from Messi and Ronaldo, and maybe like. I'd say like he, he's on par with what I see from Lewandowski and Kane. Like mm. that that's he's he's that level, but obviously he's he's obviously a lot younger. But Messi and Ronaldo are the only two that I I feel like you know when they're clean through, I just know okay, this is gonna be a goal. Mm. That like even with some of the other ones, I'm not certain, but with him, I just go, yeah, it's goal. Yeah. I can just see it's by ridiculous. the way he shapes his body and everything. I'm like, yeah. He, I mean, the runs he makes, the power he's got and the strength. And he seems to just uh, breeze past people as well. Glides, like, isn't I, it? That's the thing. He, he's he's so fast, but because of his body structure, it doesn't look like he's, you know, like he looks like he's struggling, yeah. but yeah. he's actually so rapid, which is, it's is a problem. Like, yeah. And he's, he's left footed as well, which just, mm. he's, he's got everything to be fair. He's ridiculous, isn't he? Yeah. So, um, Man City have got to keep him quiet then because Man City Dortmund. Um, 
Man City Dortmund, Porto, Chelsea, as I said, uh, yeah. Bayern Munich, Paris Saint Germain, uh, Real Madrid, Liverpool. Yeah. Um, what? Do you want me to go uh, for each game? Well, I, I would just, I, I don't, yeah, let's, let's do that because that like, Man City Dortmund, City are looking so strong at the yeah. moment. Yeah, C- like City are winning that. Dortmund, I've even watched, like, Dortmund obviously have got here in the in the in the Champions League, but in the league they look really really bad. Like I've watched them a couple times and they don't look like they're going to. Like I can't see them beating City. I'll be honest. Like, so that's one thing I was going to say because I I can't. I don't think I've watched a Dortmund ninety minute game in yeah well, since Haaland's been there. Probably may yeah, have caught yeah, one yeah. or two, but not been watching properly. Is he yeah. is he involved in the game a lot, or is he literally just one of these ones no, that he? Yeah, what what he's very good at is uh, picking his opportunities well. So, like, he's one of these players. What the reason why he's good is because he links up very well. Um, he links up with um, Sancho and players like that. So he just comes short and and sets it. But what makes him so good, which is why he's different to like a Lewandowski and Kane, is that he can travel with the ball. Mm. So. If he needs to, like, obviously, like, use the bit of space that's in front of him, he'll use it. Whereas mm. Lewandowski and these people, obviously, they set the ball, they're getting in and around the box, and then they come alive. I think that's why he's so good, because he can actually run with it and powerfully as well. And 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 he's, as I said, he's a better dribbler than probably people give him credit for it's just that he looks a bit unorthodox but a bit gangly doesn't he? yeah gangly. exactly so you're going city to beat dortmund despite the harland obviously being yeah. there but um yeah. you think city and then they will play either this has got to be the tire of the round really by yeah. munich versus psg um yeah. i mean i haven't really seen much of psg since pochettino's taken over um Bayern Munich just look like they're going to steamroll the league as they yeah. do. And they sold Thiago to Liverpool and Kimmich has come in there yeah. and he's just, yeah. well, from what I've heard, he's ripping it up. I don't know if he's yeah. injured at the moment. No, he's a not, but... Yeah, I need to check that actually because I, mm. I I used to watch a lot of Bayern. Like I obviously love watching Bayern, but I haven't watched them recently. But mm. yeah, prior to, I think that may have been the last time when I did watch them is when Kimmich got injured. But mm. He's a Bayern versus P- Bayern PSG. Obviously, that that was the final last year. What are we? Um, what 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 are you thinking on that one? Who are you going to put your money on to go through? You know what? So so hard, but I just feel like I f- oh, it's so hard. That is that one. Here are them long pauses that Chris Wheeler talked. Yeah, about. <laughs> no, that one is so hard. I don't. I don't even I this what I don't even want to put myself out there and say one this time because it's like mm. it, I agree with you. It's one in yeah, ones that can go either way. Yeah, I think I think that one just depends on the game. Like both have un like unlimited class. I think my my head would always go with Bayern, but the firepower that obviously like PSG have, like it could it just depends on the game. But mm. if I was to call I'd say Bayern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Porto, Chelsea, I think no one's going to be picking anyone but Chelsea there, really, yeah, are they? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, nothing but And then Chelsea. Real Madrid versus my boys, Liverpool. Now, um, <sighs> Real Madrid, I don't think, are the monster that they used to be. Um, then they're third in the league. Or, uh, I know they're yeah. fighting for yeah. second place with Barca because Atletico, although yeah. Atletico were pissing the league, they've sort of yeah. dropped their lead to only think about three points or four points. But... Um, 
I've got to be honest with you, I wanted Porto, obviously, like everyone would have yeah. done. But uh, I think getting Real Madrid probably was the next best draw for me, I think, because I, 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 I fancy Liverpool's chances against them. And then against Chelsea in the, in the semi, yeah, it's true. one of them ones that can go easy way, but I'd still yeah. fancy Liverpool over them. But what do you reckon on Madrid-Liverpool? Who, who are you backing on that one? I'm backing Real Madrid, you know. Yeah? Yeah, I think... Having watched them a bit lately because of my boy Benzema, who I just have so much, I, I just feel that what they're showing, they're going through that period where they're obviously trying to maintain distance. So they're so switched on, you can just see it. Like they're scoring in 90th minutes. They're, they're not really losing any games due to... They are starting to do that a bit more, actually, score last-minute goals. Yeah, a, I've been watching, I've been trait. seeing that. Yeah, but exactly. And I think that trait, what I always find is like, oh, it's almost like Liverpool have stopped competing for anything. So their their mentality's dropped off, their their speed of play and everything's dropped mm. off a little bit, whereas uh, Rio are, are, are still in the moment. And I think that will carry them over the edge, if I'm honest. Like, I just think once there's two teams... Me, I just think they're they're mentally in a better place, and I think that's gonna serve them well. So I'm gonna. My dad, yeah, my dad's been watching a lot of his Catalan TV, which he does, and he's been seeing a lot of reports that Real Madrid fans are delighted with the draw, and they think that because Liverpool are so low in the Premier League at the moment, they're not having the best. They think they're in the final already, so they're counting their chickens. I I, I just, yeah, I I feel Liverpool's is too disjointed at the moment. Like, like how many how many players are on form? Mane's not on form, what I've seen. Firmino's not on form. Thiago's not having the greatest of time. You're bringing in replacement centre-backs. Um, Fabinho's, I think he's been back in DM, but he's not yeah. where he wants to be. Hendo, and then you're, you're having Indeed. issues with Trent. Trent's dropped out the England team. So I think a Liverpool fan I saw yesterday... He was saying that like uh, Robertson's the only player that has been on form this season, essentially, like all the way through. So, yeah, but it's a then tough one, I think. But yeah. you think to yourself, this is this is their season, isn't it? It's all going to be on this. So, yeah. if they're on it for a couple of games against Madrid, on it a couple of games. If the Chelsea, fans were there, win. if the fans yeah. were there, I, I'd be probably saying something different. But like, mm. uh, it, without the fans. I just feel that Liverpool are, are built on that. Like a part of them is 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 the fans, and they need that. Um, and without it, I don't know. I just and also there's all these contract issues and players wanting to leave. I think there's too much mess going on with Liverpool, and I I, I can't see them pulling through. But well, obviously, I hope you're wrong. But um, yeah. Yeah, you could may well be right, yeah. um, mate. I think that's it. We've done a, a nice bit of time there. Um, yeah. Touched on a few subjects. Uh, thanks again to Neil Atkinson for doing that interview. Really appreciate it. Thanks yeah. to everyone for commenting. Um, as I said, we are on uh, Twitter at Footy Debate Room and we're on uh, Facebook. Um, yeah. The main group really is on WhatsApp. So um, yeah. you can get myself on Twitter at KevNGXX or yeah. at Andrew Dallas. Um, if you want to get added to the WhatsApp group, let us know. And uh, yeah. there's some fun in there. It pops off quite a lot. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's quite active. But um, yeah. thanks everyone for getting involved. Cheers, Dallas. And we'll Thank you very soon. much. Yep, yeah, no we, we make sure we don't leave it two years this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Um, nice one. See yeah. you soon.